Hey, Trojan fans, welcome to another edition of the Armchair Quarterback Podcast, our brand new podcast we started last week where we talked to former USC quarterbacks, get their impressions and their observations of what's going on with this USC football team last week. Had a fun show. We got to talk to Sean Salisbury and Shane Foley. We got Shane on again this weekend. What's going on, Shane? How you doing? Doing well, Ryan. Doing well. Good to be back on. Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. It's fun. And if people, uh, you know, Shane, Shane and I were actually at USC about the same time. There's a whole, uh, you can read his blog and get a lot more information about Shane Foley. Just go to ShaneFoley.com and he's got the Foley Report, which he puts up every week. And it's a, a great read. You can also follow him on Twitter at ShaneFoley underscore USC. That's all the correct information, right, Shane? Absolutely. Thanks, Ryan, for having me. Also have the Foley Report on Facebook. So you can find me in any of those places. Oh, nice. All right. So check it out. And, when, you know, we, we wanted to talk to people that knew the game, that knew the program. And since there was so much controversy regarding the quarterbacks, we thought, wait, why don't we start a, a quarterback, uh, armchair quarterback podcast where we kind of talk about things from the eyes of people that have done this before. And, uh, Shane, you've certainly done that. And we appreciate you coming on the show. And I guess maybe get your uh, first initial thoughts. The, the interesting thing of this game was – this was the first time Cody Kessler played the entire game because before it was either, you know, Cody Kessler and Max Wittick sharing or Max Wittick coming in at garbage time. There was no garbage time in this one. This was all uh, Cody Kessler all the time. Yeah, that is true. And, uh, you know, last week he was designated as a guy who looked like a different Cody Kessler than last week's uh, win over Boston College. And so this week coming in clearly uh, – uh, the guy after going 15 for 17. And so big game and was his show and, uh, you know, certainly had the opportunity to go out and do his thing. It just a uh, much different opponent, much different game and just a much different flow in the game uh, compared to last week against BC. Yeah, very, very different. I mean, obviously it was, it was close to the vest. If you hear Lane Kiffin talking afterwards and it, it sounded a little to me, Shane, like, what he talked about in the Arizona game last year where, oh, I just missed that deep pass to Robert Woods by inches. And it seemed like that one play would have changed the fortunes of the entire season somehow. And I, he was saying similar stuff in this one where, oh, there was just a few off the fingertips or drop passes, just just a few, and we were kind of right there. Uh, but it, I don't know if you got that same sense. It, it didn't seem like this team was – I mean, it, it seemed like it was possible in the first half to kind of blow this open. But when it didn't happen, and I, I think it all comes down to and, – and Lane Kiffin mentioned this – that sack fumble, it seemed to kind of compress the offense a little bit, like make it more conservative than it would have been. And then that it just kind of – I guess it took the crowd out of the game because no one really was excited after that point. Well, a lot of good points with that, Ryan. And I think uh, certainly giving up three sacks in this game, that fumble was a uh, was a big, I think – uh, play that uh, got Kiffin calling a more conservative game going forward and probably had some concerns about the ability to protect Kessler on a consistent basis. But to your point about uh, some of the just missed plays and going back to the Arizona game last year, which was the turning point in the season, I think we've all been able to acknowledge that. But I think that, uh, yeah, the just missed thing or making excuses for what could have been or should have been isn't going to cut it. I mean, at the end of the day, he's controlling the offense. He's running the plays. Take a look at the other side of the ball with what Coach Pendergast has brought to the team and the life, the energy, the passion these guys are playing with. Those guys are getting it done over there on that side of the ball. And, you know, he still has the responsibility for coaching the offense and uh, talking about what could be or what should be um, isn't, isn't really working for me. So, uh, you know, right now, a lot, lot, you know, to look forward to, three and one, 
but uh, it's going to have to improve. It's going to have to get better. And, you know, the passing attack, it has been called conservatively. I think there were probably four drops. I haven't gone back and looked at all the game yet, but um, certainly some drops. That, that Marquise Lee drop was, was a big drop as well. It was on the money, uh, tough pass, and he placed the ball where it should have been. But I think going back to it, I just think that Kiffin has to uh, really find ways to get these guys, uh, you know, playing with the passion. And as you said, the life kind of came out of the uh, the air, came out of the football, if you will, uh, on that sack. Uh, well, it, you mentioned the passing game, so we'll probably start with that since this is the armchair quarterback <laughs> uh, podcast. <laughs> sure. Yeah. All right. uh, so Cody Kessler, we'll go through the numbers real quick. He was uh, 13 to 27. You did mention uh, a bunch of the drops, so not a great great percentage there. 164 yards. Uh, one touchdown pass. He had a, a 33-yard pass was a long one. Uh, sacked three times. Um, there was a, a few fumble. I mean, he had the sack fumble there, but there was a, a you know three other fumbles. Two of them by Trey Madden. One credit to the team, and that, I think some of that had to do with the the Wildcat stuff that was going on there when you know when Kessler actually wasn't in. But what did you think of the way that that Cody Kessler played this game? Well, I think it just you know it's a situation where you know the first pass of the game was a drop to Jaleel Pinner. Um, certainly it was just a short pass in the flat, but it just it seemed like it was an offense that never got in rhythm. They looked off. They looked off kilter. Looked like there were opportunities, you know, in that first half especially where we were, were uh, running the football. Trey Men got on track a little bit, making, making some plays and running hard. But we just never were able to get into a rhythm, especially in the second half. And I think some of the sacks that we've talked about already got him, you know, kind of out of sync. And uh, I think that he never really looked comfortable back there. And it was a situation where, again, having some of the drops that I think could have made different, you know, made the outcome different and certainly uh, I think could have made him feel a little bit better. But, you know, even getting out of the pocket, he didn't look as comfortable throwing the ball on the run as he had uh, in, in the past. And certainly it was a defense that was playing well and inspired football and sitting, I think, a lot on the routes. It was another situation to me where I, you know, really felt like even trying to flood, flood zones and, and uh, you know, roll Kessler out to make plays, you had a defense that was really sitting on, on our offense. And we have to find ways, you know, as they did with uh, Grimble in the seam in the first half on the touchdown pass, which was a beautiful play, but find ways to continually get downfield and, and really take what the defense gives you. And I think that's something we're not doing a very good job of right now. I think you make a great point, and I, I tweeted this out during the game. And if you just – it's funny when, you know, people say, if you want to watch football, like, don't watch the ball. And I try to – I end up watching the ball a lot, Shane, because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's me. But I do try to watch the line sometimes and watch what's going on. And, and you could see a lot of early downs that Utah State would bring guys up, that they would, you know, cram the box a little bit. I don't know if they were playing an eight-man front all the time, but it seemed like they knew – uh, this play is going to be a run, and they kind of run blitzed, or they 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 brought people up to stop that, and they dropped people back when they had to. But it, it to me, it was like is, is USC telegraphing some plays here because it seems like Utah's the defense is sitting on what they think is going to happen, like you had mentioned, and it seemed like they knew what was coming almost. And obviously, that makes it a lot easier to play defense if you if you're guessing or or get information or whatever it is, and it's right. Well, I think Utah State did a good job of really calling defenses to what Kiffin was calling on offense, meaning as Kiffin became more conservative with his play calling, I think Utah State definitely recognized that, moved guys, more guys into the box, and really sat on our offense, really realizing that, that Coach Kiffin was calling a more conservative game plan. And so that was something I think 
that didn't work too well for us. And I think I think some of the concerns that you saw with some of the play calling and the conservative play calling, uh, it was pretty much probably at the wrong time because <laughs> right then when the defense was playing physical, they were playing inspired. And I think you made a point of it uh, on one of the Twitter's Twitter feeds saying you, you let a team hang around, a team that, you know, has played in big games and has stepped up and uh, played some, some uh, bigger schools tough. You leave a team like that hanging around and they've got a chance to win. And it gives them more hope and, and they're going to be fired up and they played really toe-for-toe toe with the Trojans in the second half. And so, yeah, I think that was, uh, you know, on the defensive side, though, Ryan, you've got to take what, what a defense gives you. And, and when they come up there and sit on that, you've got to find ways to stretch the field. And, you know, again, I think it goes back to having confidence and belief in, in your ability to, to deliver. And I'm not sure that we saw that. Um, you know, you've done this before. And, and obviously, Cody Kessler's only got a handful of starts, four starts under his belt. Um, you, you were around the program a long time. They trusted you. You, you and Todd Redovich coming in. I mean, there was... You've been. I mean, you were an experienced quarterback when you were in there playing. Not as much with Cody, but is there situations where you're looking under center and you're seeing the way the game's being called for you, and you're seeing what the defense is doing? Is there stuff that you would say to the, you know, the the offensive coordinator or your head coach, like, "Hey, I'm seeing this. I'm seeing this. Can we change this up?" And do you think that can be happening now with, you know, Cody Kessler or or Max Whittick when he's in there? Well, that's a great question. I think it needs to be collaborative because, you know, as a quarterback or even the receivers out there, you're seeing what is happening on that field. You're studying the game. You're watching a lot of film. You know the tendencies. You know the personnel of who you're playing against. And so that's one of the things. You should be just as prepared as a coach is playing quarterback on that field. You're the, you're the, you're the leader and the general on that team. And so I think that's a big part of it, Ryan, is you do have to collaborate. You do have to be up there. Clay Hilton's up in the box. You've got to be able to talk to him, what he's seeing, and collaborate on that, and see guys where there's opportunities with matchups out there. You, you know these receivers. You know Mark Easley. You know Nelson Aguilar. You've got your tight ends, and there's going to be one-on-one matchups, and you've got to take advantage of those, whether it's an out route, whether it's a go route, whether it's a post-corner route. I'm seeing these corner squad up on uh, Marquise Lee in the second half and in the post corner route they got a safety in the middle of the field with one corner walked up now they can run a go route in which they did several times without a lot of success but where's the post corner route where you push that guy inside break it to the outside I mean that's a 35 40 yard pass play opportunity if not a touchdown you know with with taking what the defense gives you and so I'm just not seeing a lot of different routes and not seeing a lot of pressure put on a defense that you really should be that I expect to be seen. But, you know, back to your, your uh, point about it, I, I definitely think Kessler or Wittick, if he's in there, needs to be uh, the field general commander out on that field and be talking to the coaching staff, talking about what they can do and what they can get. But that receiver also needs to say, hey, look, <laughs> let's, let's get in the seam. You know, let's take a post-corner route. Let's not just do the go route. I mean, the go route's great, but, uh, you know, doing that kind of thing, collaborating is very, very important. I think the post-corner would actually work really well. And, if, and I wanted to – I guess this is a good segue to the question I had, but there was a I, – I think it might have been the long pass that uh, Kessler completed to Lee – the 33-yard, I think it was this one, but the ball seemed to float in the air forever. And I've watched Kessler from when he was an Army All-American, and um, that's yep. the one thing I said. It just—it's not as much. It's not a zip pass, but he's—he's. He's, I think he's pretty accurate, and he's got nice touch on the ball. And I think for a, a route like that, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like that's something that Kessler would probably throw pretty well, where you get that you can throw out in front of the guy. And it, it seemed like it'd be good, a little better than throwing to a, a receiver that stopped and coming backwards, which it seems to be doing a lot. 
Well, I think with a guy like Kessler, who may not have the arm that Wittick has, you want to be a rhythm passer. So you want to get back. You want to get back there and throw the ball in rhythm. You want to be making these decisions before they're coming out of their break, whether it's an out, whether it's a crossing route, whether it's a corner route, anticipating and throwing the ball on the money, not getting back there as a scanner, sitting back, holding, 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 because, you know, again, he's got a strong enough arm. He throws the ball with touch. People question his arm strength. I mean, I'm sitting around people at the Coliseum that are questioning his arm strength. You know, I've seen enough of him to know that he can make all the throws he needs to make. But, again, it's a rhythm passer versus really being a drop-back scanner, hold, hold, pat, pat, you know, and then deliver. And so you've got to be in sync and you've got to be on target. Yeah, it's important to be in continuity with your receivers, with Lee, with Aguilar, with your tight ends, backs out of the backfield. Trey Madden caught one, you know, pass in the, in the first half, but very little usage getting the ball uh, to the backs out of the backfield as well. But that rhythm passing, I think, is something they need, they need to continue to work on and keep finding ways to uh, really find isolation opportunities, whether it's with Lee in a one-on-one situation or Aguilar, um, but getting those guys out there, not just on go routes, there are lower percentage passes, but post corners, comebacks, deep comebacks, and uh, you know, flooding, flooding zones as well with, you know, with, a, uh, with Marquise Lee and with a tight end underneath and a fullback uh, progression. So the Boston College game, it was a, an efficient day on offense. Um, you know, Kessler was 15 to 17. Uh, eight different guys caught balls. Um, so I, I, the ball was spread around. It, there wasn't a lot of bad plays. Uh, I, you couldn't say that against Utah State. I mean, he was, you know, under 50%. Only four different guys caught balls. Lee caught six of them. Um, you know, they targeted Devon Flournoy once, which was kind of strange on a critical third down play they didn't look like they're on the same page it just didn't seem as it wasn't a well oiled machine i guess you could say sham i mean how does that how could you attribute that from from one week to the next with i don't know if the defense was a ton better or whatever but you know maybe it was but from one week to the next looking as efficient as they did and, and looked like they took a few steps forward when now all usc fans are looking at saturday's game and say wow the, the offense took a few steps back I think that it's a situation, clearly two different games and two different fields. Utah State was playing better football, and certainly, you know, as we've talked about, the longer the game stayed close, the more confident they got. And so that was a big part of it. But I think also a big part of it was we talked about Kessler being out of sync. We talked about the offensive line giving up some sacks. Um, running the football consistently is something we got away from. And that's that clearly in the, uh, you know, in the fourth quarter, especially having field position football, you know, really it's been talked about already in the media, as you know, having that ball and throwing three, three straight incomplete passes with the ball starting on the 34-yard line uh, was puzzling. And so – I think when you abandon the run like that and you're not running the ball effectively, even with uh, you know the defense coming up and stacking against the run, you've got to be able to grind out three, four, you know, five yards of carry and move the line of scrimmage. And so that uh, that's part of it to me is we didn't run the ball consistently, especially in the second half. And then you know the other part of it is just a quarterback that really uh, you know again you said uh, I mean he's played in four games now. This is still newer to him, still finding his way when things come tougher like that you've got to find ways to distribute the football get the ball to different guys i have said it since last year marquise lee's a great talent got to find ways to have him stop dropping balls because that's unfortunately been a, you know, become a pattern as great as he is you know one of the best you know in the game we talked about it last week david shaw called him the best 
best receiver that he's seen on this level since Randy Moss. So, you know, you've got a lot of people that have been around the game a long time that talk about his ability. But I think, you know, you've got to find ways to get the guy the football. Mark Easley's got to, you know, not find ways not to drop the football. And we've got to get it to more guys. We talked about it last week. You know, when we saw the success in 2011 going 10-2, and two, you consistently saw the box, eight, nine guys catching passes. Okay, that's what we saw. There wasn't somebody, you know, basically just sitting on a receiver or targeting, you know, Marquise Lee or you said Devon Flournoy doing that. You've got to move the ball around. You know, what happened to Grimble? After that catch in the first half, we never saw a tight end route again. We didn't see anything. I mean, Telfer did have the one, uh, he had a, you know, one of the drops where, uh, Cody Kessler dropped that ball in there pretty nicely. That, that would have been a big play as well. But it just seems like when things get tough and things aren't moving, we're not running the football, it really becomes a situation where we go back to doing what's safe and uh, the offense becomes less creative than more creative. And, you know, kind of going back to the same plays that just the defense sits on and uh, seems like they, you know, they know they're coming. You, uh, I mean, a lot of good points there. And Lee, Lee, Lane Kiffin said Lee, I mean, Lee was not 100%. Marquise Lee said, ah, I'm about 98%. So he didn't seem to be, Lee was playing off anything that he was slowed down by injury. But what, they don't, they don't really talk about injury, so we can't really, just sure. say, however it looks out there, that's how he is. Um, but the run game is, is an important part too. We mentioned the, the offense, uh, passing offense wasn't that efficient. Well, Trey Madden last week, you know, against Boston College, 16 rushes for 103 yards, 6.4 average. Right. Against Utah State, not quite the same. 24 uh, carries. He netted 93 yards, um, you know, a 3.9 average. And, you know, there were some negative plays in there, too. Uh, yep. Had a long of just 13. It wasn't that efficient. And I don't know if that's more effect like the offensive line or, like you said, they kind of knew it was coming sometimes and they played that way with eight men in the box. But it wasn't as efficient, just like the passing game wasn't efficient. Well, you bring up a couple points that are uh, very important, and, and the third down conversion in the second half was anemic. It was, you know, not even present. I think we were 0 for 8 in the third, for third eight, and fourth yeah. quarters. So we talked about it last week. You're not going to win games with third down conversion outside of turnover margins, the biggest uh, statistic that you've got in football. And so that's not going to work. But running the football, you know, that we're talking about, you have to have toughness, and there's X's and O's, and there's Jimmy's and Joe's. It's an, it's an old saying. So you've got to have guys that can come up and play physical smash mouth football, running downhill, tough, ornery offensive linemen that are moving the pile. You know, you take a look at, you know, teams that have been able to run the football. I mean, you can go back to Vince Lombardi. I mean, they knew he was going to throw the football, and they actually, you know, move the pile and knock people out of the way, and then they get five yards of carry. You know, they get it done. That's the same thing, the same productivity that we need to have, even if they do move guys up in the box you got a 220 pound trey madden who does run physically that does break tackles uses the palm drill great balance all those kinds of things you know we've got to have a better average than 3.9 even when they know that it's coming and so i think that kind of physicality and that ability to move a pile you know even in the face of a defense that uh, knows you're going to run it not every time but i mean being able to do that and then you know clearly when a when a defense is sitting up on on uh, on our offense on the trojan offense you've got to find ways to play action pass because they know it's going to run play action pass and take the deep ball and get the ball move the ball downfield when you've got a defense sitting there they're sitting on routes they weren't just sitting on our on a run game they were sitting on routes you know on zone zone routes you know flooding zones and things like that you've got to take some chances with getting the ball you know downfield and showing some more creativity with what we're running 
So you, you talk about the offensive line there. As as a as a quarterback, when you go in and there's a few interesting things going on with the offensive line. A bunch of guys coming back. Um, right. Sort of, you could say, underperformed last year. Uh, retained the offensive line coach from last year, James Craig, but also brought in another one, Mike Summers. So that's an interesting right. aspect to have, too. Um, you start a freshman at left tackle. Uh, right. I mean, there was a lot of options there. I mean, Kevin Graff could have moved. Who knows? I mean, there's a lot of experience there. You have two really exp- you know, guys with more experience, Andre Walker and John Martinez, now essentially sharing a position. Um, guys, you know, guys have moved over. Turek moving to guard. Uh, having Mark Martin move into center. So there's a lot of things that have changed. There's a lot of, I, I guess you could say, interesting decisions. Not saying good or bad, but if the offensive line isn't playing good, and you see all these kind of decisions that might be a little strange like what do you as a quarterback what do you say is there something you can say to be like hey i'm not sure what's going on here with the offensive line well i think you you bring up some good points you have to find continuity these guys are playing together for the first time i mean you know fourth game but you know first time this year all playing together you know together in the years you're talking about with martinez and with walker splitting time at guard you know, Graf's a senior. You should see a lot of leadership and a lot of dominance from a guy that's been around the program a long time. Marcus Martin at center and uh, Max Turk, as you said, at left guard, uh, with Chad Wheeler, a retro freshman playing at left tackle. And you're just, to me, you're still seeing too many missed assignments. You know, there's situations, you know, you've got, uh, you know, you've got missed assignments where guys aren't picking up blocks or guys have free shots. I mean, Kessler got sacked on a, on a uh, play that, uh, you know, really should have been uh, Trey Madden picking him up and he didn't get to him. And it was a really, really a clean shot that they had on Kessler. So, I mean, that's, that's a running back to me in that situation. But, you know, Chad Wheeler got beat on the sack badly, you know, where he got blindsided and fumbled the football and, you know, probably created a lack of uh, confidence, um, you know, with Coach Kiffin in the, in the passing game after that play. We talked a little bit about that. But these guys have to find ways to find continuity. I mean, a, a strong, ornery, tough offensive line. The mentality is part of it. You know, you've got to have this mentality from your offensive linemen that are really bringing the heat, that are really, you know, playing the game, you know, and loving the game, playing together and depleting guys and, and getting downfield, picking up second blocks and having that desire. The other part of it that's equally as important is the mental aspect of it. And these guys have to be able to play together. The line call coming from Marcus Martin at center, they have to be able to, uh, you know, get their guys in the right positions to be making those blocks and working together to uh, to pick up twists and stunts and, and uh, blitzes. Now, Shane, I don't want to, like, harp on the offense too much, but, you know, you're a former quarterback, and this is the Armchair Quarterback podcast. We want to talk about defense too, but I, I guess the, con- sure. the concerning thing was, and I don't want to take too much of your time, Shane, but, the I mean, USC dominated two phases of this game, dominated on defense and dominated on special teams. Uh, not that USC played all that, like, I don't think USC played great on special teams, you know, missing a field goal. It was, it was some okay stuff, nothing really good in the return game. But Utah State was so bad on special teams that USC, the USC offense benefited from short fields. And, you know, some of that came from the defense being able to get three and outs. A lot of three and outs I don't think we saw last year. This team is getting this year. Um, but the USC offense had good field position and still wasn't able to, to manufacture a lot of points there. It's the, at the sixth time in seven games, Shane, that the offense hasn't scored in the third quarter. I mean, we get all kinds of halftime adjustment of questions. And so I I think that's why, I mean, I'm kind of focusing on the offense here, but certainly I think a lot of the fans are screaming, Hey, what's going on with the offense? 
Well, you bring up a lot of good points. What, what Coach uh, Pendergast has done on the defensive side of the ball has been fantastic. I mean, we haven't seen this really in four years. Uh, it's been a long time since we've seen a defense really come up and play uh, this this type of uh, just the physical attack and what they're doing on the defensive side of the ball. And the kicking game, I mean, a shout-out to our punter. I mean, we put put them inside the five-yard line twice, uh, you know, really great field position. Played a lot of good field position football. And when you, you know, when you can't capitalize on the field position, that that's a problem, you know, over the, over the course of a game, and it can cost you a game. And certainly, again, having a team hang around that you should be putting, you know, the game out of reach with, it gives those guys – confidence it gives them an opportunity to come in and make a, you know make a play at the uh, the end to tie or to win a game send it into overtime or to, to win the game and so yeah you've got to take advantage of the opportunities in the, in the field position part of this you know especially in the second half having the ball really in their territory uh, a number of different times and and not not kicking field goals not having opportunities to go down there and just punch it down there and score on a touchdown putting the game out of reach you know, 17-14, we've got an opportunity to go down there, and you go down and put a touchdown on the board, and it's lights out. You know, the game's over. And yet you're consistently having your defense, which is great, fantastic, by the way, the way they're playing, the way they defended uh, Chucky Keaton was phenomenal. So I think that uh, but continually putting those guys out there, having to make plays with their backs to the wall, that's going to get a lot tougher to do as you go out on the road to Arizona State later in the year to Oregon State and playing you know teams like uh, Stanford and UCLA. So they've got to get better, and uh, they've got to get better quickly. Now you mentioned Chucky Keaton, and uh, you know there was a lot of hype around Chucky Keaton. He was 21 of 39, 179 yards, uh, a couple of touchdowns. Um, you know he was he finished with negative yards rushing, so it wasn't. I I put an over under on 61 yards. I thought they were going to run a lot more zone read with him and just have him kind of take off. We hadn't. This defense has played so well, but we haven't seen them play the kind of dual-threat quarterback, but it's almost like Utah State took the dual part out of it, and he just wasn't seemed to be a threat with the run. And certainly there's great athletes chasing him. I mean, you had Morgan Breslin. Uh, he only had four tackles, but three of them were for a loss. You know, Leonard Williams right. led the team with eight tackles. Three of those were for a loss. Uh, I, the defense obviously is, is flying around and playing phenomenal football, and like you said, you hadn't seen this uh, for a couple of years. But were you surprised as how – how average Chucky Keaton looked when you know he's a, is a really good quarterback. I attribute it to the defense because he has been doing phenomenal things. I mean, completing 78% of his passes, 12 touchdowns and one pick, 550 yards averaging in total offense. You know, that's not a guy that just uh, has lucked into that. I mean, he you know had a lot of success last year, 11-2 and two football team. So I really do give a lot of credit to Coach Pendergast and the defense that he's dialing up. I mean, the, uh, the defensive line – just has been uh, just been a force to be reckoned with with Breslin and Kennard on the outside and with Leonard Williams and uh, George Uko, big George Uko. You know these guys have been getting it done. And, and Hayes Ballard is a beast, a linebacker, and, and certainly defensive back play. Um, you know, obviously uh, they're doing a lot of good things as well. Giving up a couple plays, I know that uh, you know we saw them give up the long pass, uh, you know, over Torn Harris. But overall, uh, the defense is is really playing phenomenal, and so. Like yourself, I was surprised we didn't see a little bit more zone read and trying to get down the line of scrimmage and putting pressure uh, on the defensive ends to make a decision. But he got hit pretty hard, pretty pretty quickly, and a lot. <laughs> so, Good point. You know, I don't know if that was something that uh, the Utah State coaching staff made a conscious decision to not put him in a situation where he was going to get hit as much as he did, because clearly the pressure that uh, USC was continually bringing and playing the 
playing the game on their side of the line of scrimmage was, you know, was a situation where he was neutralized a lot. And even when he, uh, you know, even when he wasn't touched per se, there was a lot of pressure getting him outside of, uh, you know, making throws before he was ready to and making throws outside of the pocket where he just wasn't clearly uh, having anywhere near the accuracy that he had in the past. Yeah, that, well, and you mentioned Torrin Harris. Um, man, my, whenever something happens to Torrin Harris side of the field, my Twitter feed blows up, and people are not real happy with the way he's been playing. But even that, that long pass, I mean, I I was watching. It, he seemed like he was at, on the guy's hip, and it was a really yeah. well-thrown ball to the sideline, and the guy made it extended. Like, I don't know. I mean, unless you were a deep safety making a play on that, I'm not sure he would have had a chance. And even the touchdown, yeah. the, I mean, it was a great – it was a phenomenal catch. Like, if someone makes a phenomenal catch on you and you're right with them – I'm not blaming, at least for me, I'm not blaming the cornerback as much as he was getting blamed. No, I, I'm not either, and certainly wasn't saying they're bringing that up to, to, you know, to single him <laughs> out because I think that he, along uh, actually with Lamar Dawson, are two of the improved guys on the defensive side of the ball. Lamar Dawson's playing much better football, and Torrin Harris was picked on a lot last year, as we know. And so I think Coach Pendergast has really elevated his game He's uh, taking the reins on playing much better football, and so yeah, I don't point it, uh, you know, at that situation. He did, uh, you know, have a touchdown thrown on him too, but was also defending that very well. So, uh, you know, you did see uh, Kevin Seymour come back in the second half and play a lot of the second half, and who was the starter, obviously, before he got uh, hurt against Hawaii. But I expect to see Torn Harris back in there, and hopefully he'll stay confident and uh, stay positive because he has played uh, much better football, and and certainly in the Washington State game and in Boston College played played very well, and certainly will be in the mix. But I agree with you. I think that uh, he was positioned well, gave himself, uh, you know, on his hip, and and just made a great throw and a great catch. But you know, he'll be back, and and hopefully uh, Coach Pendergast will keep him very involved. Yeah, I feel bad for the guy. I mean, I like the guy, and but for some reason he's too. been the one that gets. People just get on them on the, you know, it's like the defense is playing well, but they want to like yell at somebody, so they're going to yell at uh, Torrin Harris. I guess one last thing before we let you go, unless you had something else, but the no turnovers in this game. So certainly defense played well. They gave up a couple of big plays, which is fine. I mean, you can't expect the defense to play perfect, but um, any concern that they weren't able to force any turnovers Saturday? No, not really. I mean, because, you know, again, a, a quarterback that does make good decisions like Chucky Keaton did certainly, you know, completed about 50% of his passes. So I think they did a really nice job defending him. And, and you got to give a lot of credit to a quarterback that, uh, that plays the game well and makes good decisions, and, and they really defended him well. I think that it's an opportunity, opportunistic defense. I think we will get back to uh, getting some takeaways and making some big plays, both on the fumble side as well as interceptions. And so that was big, a big statistic. And, you know, I, I'll just say to your point about, you know, really uh, jumping all over Torrin Harris, these guys are young men, and a lot of people forget about it. I mean, these kids, you know, 17 you know, years old with Justin Davis, but, you know, 18, you know, 21, 22-year-old kids, you know, they're trying to make plays. They're trying to get better. We have to have coaches that inspire leadership and have these guys, you know, want to play together, be Trojans. You know, they're coming here to play at a great university. And, and so I think that's something that they need to continue to do. But, you know, a lot of people are quick to, you know, to think about things in the past. And Torrin Harris obviously had a tough year last year. I think he is a different player. And uh, hopefully, you know, being a great young guy, 
having an opportunity to come back and make some plays and contribute. You know, these guys, uh, you know, a lot of people jumped all over Kessler yesterday. And, you know, to our point last week, a lot of people didn't think he could throw the ball 20 yards. So hopefully he'll bounce back and, and uh, certainly I think with the play calling, be given more opportunities to succeed. And uh, it's going to be a tough one in Arizona State this week. But uh, I think maintaining, uh, you know, winning the turnover battle, finding ways to convert on third downs, playing better, more physical football, and uh, having that offensive line in good shape. All right, Shane Foley. You can find him at ShaneFoley.com, under, Shane Foley underscore USC on Twitter. Thanks again, man. It's really fun. This is, I think this is a, a cool new feature we're doing. I really appreciate that you uh, wanted to come on and uh, share your thoughts with us. Hey, absolutely. Love talking USC football and appreciate uh, having the opportunity to come on and talk to your group and, and to do this armchair quarterback. Been a lot of fun and look forward to uh, doing it again. Sounds great. Well, see, USC's taking on Arizona State on the road in Tempe next week, so we'll come uh, back next week and talk about that. Thanks to Shane and thanks everyone for listening in. We'll have our regular Peristyle podcast coming up Monday morning as usual with Harvey Hyde and Dan Weber. Stay tuned for that.